Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. I just want to say that we had the greatest time last week at our Halloween party. It was so much fun. The kids were so cute. And thanks to everyone who helped make it happen. I just, I love our church. And secondly, we start a brand new sermon series this morning, which means that we close the book on our binge reading the Bible series that has been happening the last six weeks. Um, these series, this series has been great. The maturity that you have showed throughout um, has been amazing. And we heard so many encouraging words of how the series help the scriptures come to life in a new way. And if you weren't here at all for our binge reading the Bible series, you can go back and look at it on all of our media platforms. But now it's fall y'all, okay? This morning we started a brand new sermon series about famous falls in the Bible. And this morning we take a look at the fall of Jericho. And the story takes place right after God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. If you remember our Old Testament timeline from uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Moses, uh, is around 1500 BC and Joshua shows up on the scene right after that. Joshua, son of Nun, okay? He must not have had any parents. Um, and he takes over after Moses passes away. He's the, now the leader. And now the time has come for them to officially cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. The land that God had promised their forefathers uh, and God helps them and miraculously stops the Jordan River and they cross on dry ground. This is very similar and reminiscent to the Exodus when uh, God frees his people out of slavery in Egypt. And right when it's time to kick butt, right when uh, it's time to take the promised land, God tells all the men of Israel to go get circumcised. A what? You want us to hunt? Uh, yeah, so they just crossed the Jordan River. All the Canaanites know that they're coming, and now they're going to have this extremely debilitating procedure. Every warrior is going to be weak and vulnerable for several days. And circumcision was a sign of God's covenant, and by enacting the procedure, it was a way of saying that we believe God can protect us. It isn't about military strategy or their power. It was about God. God will fight for us. And we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, smack dab in the very beginning of Israel's violent conquest of Canaan, we see a pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus shows up on the scene. I believe that Joshua ran into Jesus 1,500 years before Jesus arrives in Bethlehem. Why do I think this is Jesus? Jesus. 
the text says that the commander of the Lord's army, he doesn't reject worship. Other times in scripture, if it was an angel, it would say, no, 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 don't worship me. Don't worship me. Secondly, the commander quotes what God says to Moses with the burning bush, right? Take off your shoes for the place you are standing is holy ground. This is a reference to that burning bush scene. And lastly, neither. Doesn't that just sound like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would say? If, now, if ever there was a time when God would be for his people, it is when they are going to take the promised land from the bad guys. Joshua says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, neither. That is such a Jesus thing to say. Jesus won't be co-opted by anyone, even his own people. Neither. What? What do you mean neither? We're your people. You rescued us from Pharaoh in Egypt. You gave us your law. You told us to go get the promised land. We know you're on our side. Those people are Canaanites. Do you know what they do? This is just so applicable for us with the divisive climate we now find ourselves in in our country. Uh, there is no better drug than being right. Come inside here. We're right. They're all wrong. We're safe. It's dangerous out there. We're good. They're bad. We employ Jesus as a weapon against those who disagree with us. We essentially declare that I think you're wrong and so does Jesus. But let's call this out for what it is. It's a defensive move that keeps us from having to do the hard work of self-examination. It quickly shuts down the inconvenient possibility that I might be the one in error or that my own perspective may be warped in some way. It also prevents me from empathizing with my opponent or recognizing an element of truth in their worldview. Because if God agrees with me, then I never have to change. This is actually arrogant. This is anti-Jesus. The book of Isaiah declares that his ways are higher than our ways. Ain't that the truth? Have you ever said in exasperation, God, I just don't get you. I don't understand. And maybe that's the point. The day that you don't get God might be the day that you finally get God. He is so much bigger and more unfathomable than we can even understand. He's not here to agree with us on every point. God's not our trump card. He loves our enemies as much as he loves us. He doesn't need to consult you. He doesn't need to run it by you. We often want Jesus to join our campaign, bless our agenda, defend our position. But let's remember, Jesus is king. We aren't. We center our lives around him, not the other way around. Jesus never fit into the categories of his day. People were amazed and they were exasperated that they couldn't pinpoint where he was. He exploded boundaries and shows us a better way. When we come to Jesus, we want to know, hey Jesus, are you liberal or conservative? Are you a, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you for us? are for our enemies. And Jesus says, neither. And some of us are having a mini panic attack because even the thought that God might not 100% view things the way that we view things, that's just, that messes with us. 
The question is not, which side are you on? The question from Jesus is, are you on my side? If your idea of God has never disagreed with you, then I can guarantee you that that is not God. Hey, Joshua, you are not the commander of the Lord's army. I am. Okay, we're coming out swinging today, okay? And there's more coming, don't worry. Let's continue, Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. They crossed the Jordan River and there is a strategic stronghold right when they get into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and the city is Jericho. It's a fortified city. They've got to take Jericho, right? And this is on, this point will be on your notes. Jericho cannot be ignored. It has to be dealt with. If they don't deal with Jericho, if they try to bypass it, skip around it, ignore it, all that would happen is that they would leave an enemy that will come from behind to defeat them. It would be a foolish strategy to stay away from Jericho. And Jericho is a walled city, not just a single walled city. It's, it's a double walled city. The people of Israel have never seen a city like this before. They've never met a foe as fortified as Jericho. And it must have felt overwhelming to them. Prodigal church, there are issues and obstacles in your life. And for a long time, you have procrastinated. You have put them to the side. You have went around the issues. You haven't dealt with the one thing that needs to be dealt with. The fact is, you're going to have to deal with it. You can't ignore the issues. Neglecting to deal with Jericho guarantees failure and defeat for the future of Israel and also for us. Great organizations, great people ask these questions. What problems or areas of concern do need to be dealt with for us to move forward? And for Joshua and the people of God, it was Jericho. We gotta deal with issues in our lives because we can't just run from our problems. We can't just go around our problems. We can't just bypass them. Jericho has to be dealt with. The secrets in your life, the problems in your marriage, the addictions you struggle with, the pride, the laziness, the anger, the gossip, the bitterness, the, the arrogance that we have, it has to be dealt with. If you don't deal with it today, it will be a bigger problem tomorrow. So no matter how fortified your Jericho is, the walls need to come down. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. The people would say, no, I don't see. All I see is a double walled city, really, really fortified, more fortified than anything I've ever seen before. But the Lord speaks to Joshua as though it was a done deal. Verse three, march around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. What a terrible plan. 
What an awful military strategy. If Joshua was listening to his military generals, they would say, build siege ramps. Take your battering ram to the door. Let's cut off their water supply and uh, they'll go hungry and die of thirst or starvation because we've cut off their supplies. These are the common ways that walled cities were taken in the ancient world, but God gave different orders. Walk around the city on the first day. Don't say a word. Then go to bed. And then the next day, do the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. But on the seventh day, march around seven times. And on the seventh time, you're going to shout. Keep your traps shut until I tell you to shout. Why? Why do they have to be quiet? Why couldn't they say a word as they walked around this walled city? It's a two-mile walk around Jericho's walls. You can't just whisper to your neighbor. You can't, you can't talk with the soldier next to you. If they were allowed to talk as they walked and nothing would have happened, well, and then the next day, nothing would have happened, they would have started talking. They would have started muttering, watch, I bet you we're going to get done and nothing's going to happen again. It's going to be the same. They're still going to be up there on their fortified city and we're going to still be out here. I bet they think we're crazy. Maybe at first they were scared when we showed up, but now they're mocking us from the top of their wall because nothing is happening. If, they were, if the Israelites were allowed to talk as they walked, all they would have done was been negative and complained. They would be talking about doubt and fear, and those are not the languages of the people of God. When you speak negative, that's not the language of Jesus. When you speak complaint, it's not the language of Jesus. When you speak bitterness, that's not the language of Jesus. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And that's what the people of God did for seven days straight. And Joshua and the Israelites did as the Lord commanded. Verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the, trumpet, at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. So they were to walk two miles every day, in full armor. Then on the seventh day, they were to go around the two-mile city seven times, 14 miles in full armor, and then shout. This goes against every piece of wisdom you can find. It's fall, y'all. The, the walls fell. How did they fall? Why did they fall? There are hundreds of theories of how the walls actually fell or why they fell. Was it an earthquake? Did angels knock them down? Was it the power of 600,000 soldiers marching in unison, perhaps on a fault line? Did the Canaanites dig under the walls to try and escape and therefore weaken the foundation? Was it their voices? What happens when 600,000 men have been silent for a week and the shout and the power of their voice after fasted speech, the blast from the force of their vocals would be enough to perhaps shake the earth. 
Or maybe the whole army let out a resounding shout at the same time, and all of the Canaanites on top of the walls were startled. After six days of silence, this, this break in routine startled them. They jumped at the same time, and their jump in unison was enough to bring the walls down. We do not know. We have no idea. The city of Jericho was built on a hill. And so when the walls collapsed, the walls fell outward, not inward. Therefore, creating ramps for the Israelites to ascend and take the city. The walls, which were meant to keep them out, became the vehicle in which brought them in. Why did the walls come tumbling down? I think the keys are found in something that is not supposed to be there. There are certain things that shouldn't be there in this story, and they would be easily recognizable to the ancient Hebrews. And they're all found in verse four. Look, look at it with me, it says this, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. Priests here shouldn't be there. They're leading the march. Priests don't belong in battle. Secondly, it says ram's horns in front of the ark. The ark also doesn't belong here. The ark represented God's presence. It wasn't allowed to go into battle. There's this story in 1 Samuel where the Israelites are getting their butts kicked by the Philistines. And so the Israelites go, well, let's bring the ark. Let's bring the presence of God with us. So that way, let's bring our good luck charm. So that way we can kick their butts instead. And the ark gets taken from them. You don't take the ark. Ram's horns. Well, these, these were for worship. Trumpets were for warfare. Ram's horns were for worship. And then on the seventh day, it says, does, that, does the seventh day break any weekly laws that the ancient Hebrews had? Right? It breaks the Sabbath. And even if you were to walk around the city once, you'd be breaking the Sabbath. So we don't know if the seventh day was actually the Sabbath Saturday. We don't know, but any of those seven days broke the Sabbath because you're only allowed to go uh, uh, one, about one mile and not break the Sabbath they had to go two, just around once. Priests, ark, ram's horns, seven-day march, doesn't belong here. God says to Joshua, walk around the city seven days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times, and after the seventh time, shout. Do you, do you see a pattern here with the number seven? We talked about this last week in Rescuing Revelation. The number seven means a lot in the Bible. It means completeness. It's God's number. Sevens are a signpost. Whenever, especially when they're bunched together like that, it should go. It should. It should light an alarm if you're a, a reading the Bible. It makes you look for completion. It makes you look for God. God is saying here, "I finish what I start." God finishes what He starts. He's always bringing things to completion. He's always fulfilling promises. It was God's declaration that he is in charge, that God fights our battles. Don't trust in your own military might. Don't trust in your own clever or cunning strategies. Trust in me. All these things shouldn't be here. It's a way of them trusting and relying on God before the battle, for the battle. 
This battle is not where you, where you give like a William Wallace kind of Braveheart speech, right? But dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to last for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I just wanted to throw in a Scottish accent and a Braveheart quote in the sermon. This is not one of those times. Joshua is not getting there with his face painted blue, trying to rile up the army to get them excited to overtake the Canaanites. No, it's not that kind of battle. This is to be Israel's declaration that God is the one in whom we place our trust. Some may trust in horses. Some may trust in chariots. Some may trust in fortresses, but we will trust in the name of our God. What do you trust in? Where do you place your trust? Not in our might, not in our swords, not in our walls. We fight from victory, not for victory. God fights for us. Some of us need to hear that. We need to rely on him to get us through whatever we're going through, whatever battles we're fighting. Worship comes first. For some of us, and for those of us watching online right now, I get it. It's hard to engage in worship. Maybe some of you, you just you fast-forwarded the, the worship and skipped it right to the message. Because uh, that's just music, right? You want to get to the word. This is going to be tough for you. Because the first thing you have to overcome is the mockery of your own intellect. The things that come up to go, what if someone sees me? I'm, I'm here by myself or or I'm, I'm in public, or if you're in a church setting, um, what, what's my neighbor going to think? This is crazy. Worship, engaging with God, talking to God, praising God. Is it as crazy as walking around a fortified city seven times and then yelling? Let him fight your battles. And how we do that in worship is we bring to him the very thing that needs to come down. We bring to him these walls and say, God, I need you to take this down. I need you to restore my kid. I need you to break down these financial barriers. I need you to provide a place of employment. I need you to sustain me when I'm longing for a relationship, but everyone I get, every time I get in one, it becomes toxic. I need you to deal, help me deal with my depression. I need you to help me deal with my loneliness. You need these walls to fall down and God saying, bring them to me and worship. Trust them to me. Encircle that thing with prayer. Walk around it once a day for seven days. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times and then continue to do it and watch the walls fall down. Lastly, Regain your shout. Regain your shout. I can't tell you how many times I have to tell my kids to quiet down. Okay? The, the volume of their voice, they don't really get that it could be potentially annoying to other people. We're at an outdoor restaurant, we're hanging out, and our kids are yelling. And we're like, shh, shh. Joshua 6.20, the men gave a loud Shout, a loud shout, shout, a shout. They opened up their voices. 
They, they projected them loud. And the reason some of us need to shout is because we've lost our shout. We've lost our voice of faith. We've lost this, this, this yes, I'm, it's going to happen. We've lost that sense of excitement, that sense of wonder, that sense of anticipation, that faith in God, that I believe it. We've lost that. We once had it. But it's been so long. Circumstances have taken away your shout. Depression has taken away your shout. Divorce has taken away your shout. Complacency has taken away your shout. Reliance on money has taken away your shout. And God says, regain that shout. Regain that battle cry. And the battle cry isn't that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that you can win this battle on your own and that you're heavily armored and no matter what comes at you, you can handle it. No, it's God can handle it. God will take care of you. God is more heavily fortified than you can ever imagine. And the double-walled city of Jericho is nothing for the king of kings. And whatever you're going through is nothing for Jesus. He can do it. Encircle that thing in prayer, in worship, and give it to God. And just see what happens. Regain your shout. Regain that vigor, that passion, that desire, that, that childlike faith that God can do it and that God is for you. God, we thank you that the walls in Jericho came tumbling down. And thank you, God, that the walls that keep us can come tumbling down as well. God, help us to love everyone, even our enemies. To be more like you in everything and to trust you with all of the fortified cities that you have called us to take. In Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we dive into week two. Uh, it's fall, y'all, and it's going to be a great time. We hope and pray that you have an amazing week. Peace to the Middle East.